When the schools, for instance, chastise and or punish a boy for being a boy, society's got a problem. When masculinity, even the valorous parts of it, are mocked, society has a problem. Society needs boys to be boys, to grow into honorable, pure masculine men, pillars and examples of integrity, valor, and doing the right thing. Men need to discover what mature masculinity is discover where they're not being that. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to the Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou. And today's guest is a man who's been involved in the work of men for over a couple of decades. He knows as much about issues of men manhood and masculinity as anyone I've ever come across. He has led one of the major men's organizations in the world today, MDI, Men's Division International. And he is the one and only Jeff Tomlinson. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, it's great to be here, Nick. Really good to be here with you. I appreciate it, man. So, you know, we do this show because we believe we're at a juncture in history where men and masculinity are not valued the way they once were. And in fact, I would argue that we have an active, hostile, anti-man environment around certainly North America, probably the Western world, and quite possibly even the entire world. And one of the reasons that this podcast exists is to draw the line, hold the line, help men be proud of being men again, and help men reclaim masculinity and restore it. That's a line from one of my friends, Ryan Mickler, who created the Order of Man to reclaim and restore masculinity, but it's a good one, so I'm going to appropriate it. And the reason I asked you to be here on the show is because you're a man who's, quite frankly, been involved in this conversation for quite some time. Could you give us a little bit of your backstory, how you came to be involved in the, in the work of men, manhood, and masculinity, just for the benefit of the listener? Sure. So uh, in October of 1997, uh, my boss at the time, a man named Colin Drummond, uh, approached me and he said, uh, hey, do you want to know why you don't get promoted all the time? And I did, stuck in mid-management and um, said, well, meet me, meet me at uh, downstairs, which he never did. He never socialized with me. So I met with him. And they sat down and he said, you heard I did this retreat a few weeks ago, right? I said, yep. He said, he said, look, you're not getting promoted. Nothing to do with your knowledge of advertising or anything else. At the time I was in advertising, now I'm a financial planner. But he said, um, you're not getting promoted because of your personality. He said, you intimidate everybody above you. You intimidate me. You intimidate Heather, who was his boss and the senior clients, everybody else loves you. There's something with you about that. You, you're, you're an intellectual bully. I was like, whoa. Knocked me on my ass because I knew as soon as he said it, he was right. No one had ever spoken the truth to me. In fact, like, you know, you can lose a job today and no one will tell you the truth. They're like, oh, we're making a change. It's all BS. See, so people don't have the opportunity to learn so and I said, uh, yeah, okay, that's great. What do I what do I do? Like, how I don't know how to deal with this. He said, look, um, there's a meeting, you know, a couple of weeks from now, in a park, and you know, freaking Toronto in November. It's like probably minus three Celsius at the at the time, um, and it was an open house for the Sturdy Men's Weekend. And I went and I saw all these men speak the truth to each other, like unvarnished. I was kind of a bit of a elitist at the time. Thought that men that didn't have good educations or speak well were beneath me, kind of. Um, and I get there, and there's like this dock worker 
who's got this working class accent, if you will, like he sounded like he worked on a dock. Um, and he basically, uh, you know, he was nailing people, including me, telling them the truth. And I realized, man, I got a lot to learn and I want to be like those men. Cause I wasn't, I had a newborn child, you know, I was stuck in, like I knew there was a lot of things wrong, but I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know how to do anything about it. Um, so I registered that night to do that weekend, um, changed my life, came back and joined the, what was called at that point, the Sterling men's division, which later on became MDI, um, in 1999. And I, I've been in leadership since 2000. So I was leading 50 men um, on, in January, exactly a year after my uh, my weekend, um, which was not normal, but there were some issues there. And I was like the new guy that everybody was impressed with and I ended up taking over. Um, and I've been in leadership ever since, one form or another with maybe two or three weeks off here or there. Um, you know, I ended up being the president of... MDI, which is now called Mentor Discover Inspire, and uh, which is just a brand name change. Nothing wrong with Men's Divisions International, which I think is the technical name. I um, and I led uh, the organization from uh, would have been nineteen from nineteen from twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen. I was the president, and I've been on the board and the treasurer and led regions and done pretty much every job there is to do because I want to give back to other men what I got. And, uh, you know, um, I'd like to segue back into, if, I'm, if that's okay with you, into what you were talking about in terms of masculinity. Because um, as much as the world may be against, you know, there's this anti-masculine movement out there, um, it's my belief that most of the fault for why that exists resides in men because um, the characteristics of mature masculinity, um, honor, integrity, truth speaking, doing the right thing no matter what, um, you know, look, it's men that run into burning buildings to pull children up, almost exclusively. I mean, that may not, people may not like hearing that, but it's true. It is. It's men that... It's men that volunteer predominantly to go fight in wars when they're just and so on. Um, those characteristics of masculinity, which make masculinity integral to society, and particularly to children, um, they're missing in such a large percentage of the male population that you create an opening and an environment for the anti-masculine forces to have rationale for their way of being and to exist. Um, it may, let's put it this way. It sure makes it, their job a hell of a lot easier when there's a bunch of men running around being dishonorable, cheating on their women, screwing their coworkers at work, and doing things that men in their souls know are wrong for their own selfish, immature reasons. Um, and I put to you that our grandfathers didn't do that at nearly the rate that we see today. And that um, as a result of that, we've created an opening where you can attack all of masculinity and even the great parts of masculinity can be lumped in with the crappy parts. And um, so one of the reasons I do all the work that I do is that men need to discover what mature masculinity is. And they need to discover where they're not being that so that they can transform their lives into a mature masculine man. And with that, the more men that go through that type of process of identifying what it means to be an integrity, identifying what it means to display honor. Though I think the weaker the anti-masculine forces argument becomes. And uh, 
you know, and I think men have also, um, I, by the way, when I'm saying all this, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just adding dip, like another perspective to it. I agree with you that that's all going on. It is going. The other thing that men do um, that I think is a problem is uh, a lot of men, and I see it all the time, have basically become, you know, fill-in mothers when mom's not there. Not doing the tough things that a father needs to do with their child. And they've adopted a motherhood context for fatherhood, which I don't think works at all. Um, I think that's a disaster. You know, I think that, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, if you're, if you're doing the right thing, that's what drives you as a man. When your child needs to be told in no uncertain terms about where their behavior was and wasn't acceptable, or that they failed at something, if that's the right thing to do, then you do it. You don't go, oh, well, we'll call the school and fight it. But, you know, those things contribute to the problems that masculinity is having in society. It makes it easier for the forces that don't like all of masculinity to brand masculinity as weakness. Because um, there's less tangible results people can point to my mind. So my part of this particular um, endeavor in terms of dealing with what I see out there that you so well identified at the start of this, uh, at the start of this interview is to expose as many men as possible to um, transformational experiences that allow them to, or even just other men, that through mentorship allow them to discover what it means for them to live in their, their own personal mature masculinity. That's quite a mouthful, <laughs> brother. So let me address uh, and unpack some of what you just uh, revealed to us. Okay. So there's truth to what you're saying. And we need to look at it from the point of view of a bigger context. The reason why our world is in the shape that it's in today and that masculinity is devalued is actually that it's a deliberate diabolical plan. It's part of something that for lack of a better way of putting it, originally came to the Western world through the ages of godless communism. In 1917, um, the uh, Bolsheviks succeeded in overthrowing the monarchy in, in, in Tsarist Russia and the first communist state came into being in the world. And when that communist state came into being, Vladimir Lenin, the leader of that state, wanted and had an objective of worldwide revolution. He wanted a one-world communist state. That was the goal. And he believed that the greatest single obstacle to that worldwide revolution, that one-world communist state, was the United States of America. He called it the main adversary. And what he set into motion was one of his acolytes, a German communist by the name of Willy Munzenberg. And he went to Mr. Willy Munzenberg and said, I want you to go to the United States and destabilize that nation in a multi-generational effort to turn it against itself. And Willy Munzenberg did exactly that and began to recruit sympathetic uh, native-born Americans to basically infiltrate the academic arena, storytelling, which was Hollywood, uh, and um, media, news media. And if you go and you uh, look at school curricula from 100 years ago compared to today, and you look at um, movies from not even 100 years ago, the more recent era compared to today, and you go into, into the media, you went from uh, unabashedly pro-American, pro-freedom, pro-Western traditional values to 
something that's not that. And a big part of their strategy, which has been outlined by defectors from the Soviet Union who've said this to us, you can go look this up. This is a matter of public record, that they deliberately wanted to destabilize the family, destabilize men and masculinity. And what they wanted to do was to be able to have um, a group of men that were weak and that were not going to be able to stand up to the pressures from the outside that the communists were going to exert to do away with with traditional freedom, to do away with the traditional uh, God-fearing society. And men were the bulwark against that. So yeah, men have definitely dropped the ball and not seen this and not pushed back. But this didn't happen in a vacuum. This has been going on multi-generationally. And and if we don't understand that, we're going to think, oh, this just kind of happened. But it didn't. There is there are dark forces afoot, and we need to be aware of those dark forces. You know what I'm saying? I hear what you're saying, and you know I have no reason to doubt you or to debate you on it. I, I um, what I will say about all of that is is that all of that may be true or not true. Um, because I ain't researched it like you have. Um, it doesn't change my mission. It doesn't change my actions. It doesn't change what I need to do. Um, because, well, there's, you know, ultimately needs to be organizations that are battling what you're doing. I'm in the one man at a time business. And, uh, and lots of us are. And there's multiple men Me that are doing that work. And that's where my focus is, um, is, is because I think that ultimately um, a huge part of, of shifting the way society operates on these issues is going to be by providing more examples what masculinity is at its best. And um, in order to do that, we need to provide, because ultimately, if you have that, it um, if, if there's more examples of that, it lays out the lie. And when, you, when you're in touch with men that typify, um, you know, the, the things that, that masculinity brings um, that I believe that our grandfathers and great grandfathers brought routinely. When you, it, it, it opens up that whole conversation to just being a lie because my personal experience tells me that what you're saying isn't true because that's not the way my father is. That's not the way my brother is. That's not the way my friend is, my husband, whoever. Um, so for me, that's that's my part of that what you're talking about. so um and that's where i go that's what i dedicated most of my life my adult life to yeah. is to creating as many men as we can and and i also happen to believe by the way that um it doesn't take as many men as you think that tipping points um are reached and cultural shifts and changes can occur uh, with with a, with a minority of people, because if those Absolutely. minority of people, if a minority of people, even a small minority, exposes a bald faced lie, um, people believe their own eyes over the media, over any of the things you've outlined, you know that are issues over their education. They'll always believe their own experience above all those things, even if they won't say anything about it. What's in what they believe comes from their, you know, first and foremost. Yeah, all those things are influencers. I'm not trying to say they're not. I'm saying that a very powerful way of combating those influences is from your own personal experience. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. And we 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 do this show because we believe in what you believe. You know, Margaret Mead said, a small group of committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I agree with that. You, you know, um, Marianne Williamson studied movements and what the tipping point was for those movements to completely transform a society. Now, at 2%, when 2% of a population fully embraces an idea 
then that idea will explode into the consciousness of the population when 11% of a population fully embraces it. It's inevitable that it's going to just ripple through the entire population. But if you have a population that's conservative in its outlook and, and is just you know, been accepting traditional things, then unless you've got a group of people that'll start to infuse that with life, nothing will, will, will that, that big mass isn't strong enough to resist the change. And that's what we want to do right now is we, like, I'm a believer in what you are up to causing. I'm in the one man at a time business as well. The sovereign man movement right now we want to get 50 men through our work in the next year. And the year after that, I want to get a double that number of men through the work. And my vision is that we quickly grow to 10,000 committed men that are part of the movement. And if we as a whole can reach in the, in, in the country of Canada, 4 million men, man, it's game over. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Game over. And that's what we got to go and cause. I agree. And, and, uh, you know, I think that when you talk about um, the type of societal shift that you and I both desire in terms of the way that masculinity is treated and even respected in, in the culture, in the society, that um, it will ultimately be a multi-pronged effort. And... Um, you know, for me, my place in that effort is, is where I am today. Uh, your place may be completely different from that. And like, for instance, doing this podcast. <laughs> um, so, and I do believe that. I do believe that, you know, it comes from different places. And, um, you know, I can tell you that uh, my father, uh, who was also involved in this work for about 20 years, um, one of his last jobs before he retired was he was... He was, he was working at a large ad, international, multinational ad agency called Saatchi and Saatchi. So some people listening yeah, to this. Order. Sure. Yeah. I know who those people And are. he was the senior vice president of, uh, of the future, believe it or not. So he had a job for about two years, which was like analyzing the future, both in the near and the further term. So he was writing papers in the, this is like in the 80s talking about how satellites would take over and cell phones and so on, um, multi-channel universes and all these things that were pretty radical at the time that would then get distributed to their international clients, um, you know, to provide that service of, of being able to peek into the near and the distant future. And one of the things he talked about when he did the work himself was in those days when you went to the Sterling Men's Weekend and, you know, we would there was cigars were involved in the process. And uh, um, I'm not going to say how, but they were. And a number of people from uh, Hollywood uh, did, and I'm not going to identify who they are either, actually did that weekend. And three of them ended up on the cover of Cigar Magazine. Three of the graduates. Um, and my father saw that, he, he saw the magazine. He said to me, he didn't know that, I knew that these men had done it. He did not know. I was involved in senior leadership at the time. He wasn't, he became involved in senior leadership later. He said, uh, he said first of all, this was started by the Sterling Men's Weekend. And second of all, uh, this is gonna become fad, which it did in the nineties, cigars became a big thing. They were everywhere for a while. Probably about two or three years. So what I'm doing is just saying, you know, it was less than 2% of the population and had a couple of key influencers, plus maybe 0.01% of the population created something that was big. Now, that wasn't a big thing or important thing or maybe even necessarily a good thing. But what it does do, the reason I'm bringing it up is it actually supports your what you're talking about. And um, it supports my point that it's a multi-pronged effort. You know, those celebrities did their part in creating that. Um, the, the Sterling Institute relationship did their part by creating it with a lot of individuals. And it became a thing. Not an important thing, but a thing. And uh, our job is to ultimately do the same thing 
with the way that masculinity is is viewed and dealt with and uh in my dreams one day even celebrated worldwide because um because there's something to be said for 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 masculinity and when you when the schools for instance chastise and or punish a boy for being a boy society's got a problem um when uh, you know when masculinity even the valorous parts of it are mocked society has a problem society needs boys to be boys to grow into honorable pure masculine men that will will be pillars and examples of integrity uh, valor and doing the right thing and um it makes it a lot harder for for young men and boys to to become those men when they're being told from the very early age that their very way of being which comes from just wrong. being who they are is wrong um when society's doing that it's creating its own problem and and that you know is happening worldwide it, it's ironic that you know that it this all started with the communists because cuba has this problem too so so the one government that's really kind of staying loyal to this type of philosophy in terms of leninism um has the, has the same issues they they're not they're not immune to their own virus um yeah. and okay. uh you know so it but the the larger point is is that I I believe that uh, that 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 this work is not futile. That actually, um, men like you and me are just the tip of the spear. And it's going to take a lot of spears, and um, ultimately, it's going to take a lot of men holding them eventually to to make a change. Um, and, and I I actually believe that we will. I, I believe that societal norms are constantly shifting, and they don't always shift in one direction. Um, if something's been shifting in that direction more or less for a hundred years, um, it's easy to believe that it's now a uh, like an unstoppable path in a certain direction. But that's not how societies work. They change on dimes all the time, overnight almost, or seemingly overnight. It, it never is overnight. I've been at this for twenty-five years, but it happens quickly, and. Um, it can happen quickly, but it takes devotion, dedication, and action from um, from people that share these beliefs. Um, and it's more if you share the, these beliefs and you're sitting here watching this podcast and thinking, well, yeah, I agree with that, but I ain't doing anything about it. Um, then you're part of the problem. I mean, then, you know, at that point, I don't care how you take action. But you need to look at yourself, if you believe in this, and find a way to be part of the solution. But if you're not, you're still part of the problem. So Edmund Burke, the great uh, English-Irish philosopher, said the only condition necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to stand by and do nothing. And that's true. And secondly, I agree with you that I too have a dream. And if I can paraphrase the great Martin Luther King, one of the great men of history, a masculine man in every sense of the word, in the best sense of the world, I have a dream where one day every man, every boy is going to be honored for being a boy and honored for being a man where every man is going to be proud of being a man, proud to be a masculine man. And the world will applaud and say to him, you're a man. Yes, you're a man. And we honor you. And those men, those boys are going to be the ones that drive our world forward. I love women. Women are amazing. Women are fantastic. But men, Men are super necessary to the progress of the world. It's men that built the world. It's men that got out there and fought the wars, jumped into the burning buildings, 
and pushed all innovation forward. Women are powerful, wonderful, and necessary. Without women, civilization wouldn't exist. We men would destroy ourselves in a fortnight. But without men, there'd be no world. And that's the truth. And the fact that there's folks out there that are saying all kinds of bull crap about men these days is ridiculous. Because what they're doing is they're hurting girls, they're hurting boys, they're hurting men, they're hurting women, and they're hurting families. And that's, my friend, why I'm convinced that there's forces of darkness afoot that are trying to do this, because this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And yes, men like you and I are necessary. The work that you do is necessary. This podcast is necessary. The Battle Ready programs that I run are necessary. The programs you run at MDI are necessary. The Sovereign Circle, are, you know, which is our new exclusive brotherhood of men, is necessary. And if there were a thousand Tomlinsons and a thousand Baloo's and a thousand Ryan Micklers, still wouldn't be enough for us to reach every man. Yes, we can change society, but we got to put our foot uh, down and we got to put the pedal to the metal and we've got to have uh, a passion for men, manhood and masculinity to resume their honored place once more. I agree. Um, it's funny. There's a, you've been doing a lot of quotes and I'm not nearly as good at them as you are, but uh support something you said um peter used to believe i think it was him um not exactly the most quotable man on the planet but this one always stuck with me uh he said that men created civilization to impress our girlfriends that's true he's right <laughs> <laughs> that without it you know we never would have done it we, we just <laughs> Wouldn't have been you know we'd be too busy fighting each other and whatever we do it's but it, it takes you know, a masculine and a feminine or in the Asian way of looking at things, the yin and the yang to create the best whole. If you create too much yang, um, which I believe is what's happening in society today, I think we've got a lot of men that think the right way to be is to act like women. It makes them very confused, um, makes them very poor fathers. In fact, it makes them, like I say, babysitters. I've actually heard men say that about their own children. I, I, I have to babysit the kids tonight. Interesting. Just it just stands out to me. How do you babysit your own child? And it's because what they do um, with their children is what mommy does. That's where they look to for their example of how to child rear is to do what their mothers do or what their mothers tell them they should do. Um, as opposed to going. My instincts as a man tell me what the right thing to do as a father is. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to tell you how to be a mother. Don't you tell me how to be a father. Amen, baby. And, you know, that is a tragedy. I see it everywhere in society. So I live in a suburb of Toronto, Richmond Hill. Um, and it's, it's wealthy, but the area I live in is more middle class. I'm in a townhouse. And it's most, it's Canadians, it looks like the UN. It is, there's a very large uh, Farsi-speaking or Iranian population, a lot of Indians, a lot of Lebanese, Arabs, Chinese. Um, it, it's, and um, I see the men from all of those cultures, there's a big park, urban park, if you will, just 100 meters from my house. And they... You know, there's condos and townhouses around. There ain't that many parks. So they show up. Like I see them interact with their children all the time. Walk my dogs past that park every day. It doesn't matter what part of the planet these men come from. They're all doing the same things. Their children. And I get to watch them in the park, you know, fending their children when they've done something bad, making it okay. Um, it's, you know, it's not, uh, it, When we and when we do this with our children, we perpetuate the problem. That's my point. You're creating another generation whose masculine example is actually not being masculine. Where does um, where does that young boy look to when he becomes a father in 30 years? He looks to that example of being a surrogate mom. 
unless there's something that interjects in this conversation and, and this, this way that society is treating masculinity, um, you know, that's the problem. We're creating generational memories. You know, I was lucky. I was raised by a very masculine man. I wasn't going to put up with any of that, you know. Um, and he had all sorts of flaws. Men are loaded with flaws. You know, that's why I talked about particularly men that haven't discovered how to be in their own power as a mature masculine entity. Um, those men are just loaded with addictions. And I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about everything. And a lot of them are addicted just to being pussies. And, um, <laughs> and, and they know it's wrong. It's like if you drink too much or look, I'm a nicotine addict. I've not been able to break it. Um, this is a nicotine vapor device that it showed you. Um, having addictions is normal. Surrendering to them and having them control your life is not. And I put to you that there's a lot of men out there that have addictive behavior when it comes to acting in a feminized manner. It's, it's become a comfortable place for them to do it, even though in their souls they know that this is damaging them and it's not good for them. And, and I think that is, that is rife and everywhere, you know? So, and I was like that too, by the way. So I was brought up by this masculine man. And when my mom left when I was, when she was, when I was seven um, and tried to take me, I decided to stay with my dad. And my dad raised me, two person family for most of our time. And, uh, you know, when I was newly married and just had a child and was exposed to this work, I was acting in a feminine way at home, in my job, all over the place. I mean, and I use that term, it may not even be the right term, frankly. You know, like when I, I say feminine because it kind of identifies and feels right. But in a lot of ways, when a man is not acting in mature masculinity. He starts acting a bit like a woman, but really it's a lot worse than that. When you see men acting that way, because women bring all these other fantastic and incredible skills to the table. But when you're a man, using women as your example for how to be, all you bring to the table is a really shitty imitation of what they do, what women do well. And when you do that, it becomes very easy to castigate you because you suck. You suck. You're a, you suck at being a father because all you're trying to do is be a mother and you have no skill sets and no understanding on how to do that. Nothing in the millions of years of human biology ever trained you how to be a mom. Now, there's nothing wrong as a mature masculine man with wiping your baby's asses or doing the dishes. I'm not talking about these traditional issues. I'm talking about when you are not willing to say the right thing to your child so that your child gets the proper education. When you're not dedicating your life to being the type of man that you want your daughter to marry, you're not providing her an example of what mature masculinity looks like so that she can go marry it. Those are the Motanus sins. I, I, hey, I, I do the dishes. I wiped my kids' asses. Hated every minute of it. I can admit that. Wasn't, you know, father of the year when it came to taking care of infants. But it had to be done. Modern women aren't going to, you know, aren't sitting at home. Some of them are making more money than we are. Well, you got to pull your weight. But that doesn't mean making it okay for your six-year-old to poke another kid in the eye or to blow off their homework or any of the other myriad of things that children need to hear. Those are maybe not even the best examples, but it happens all the time. Men defending their children when they know they're wrong. Um, I just My father would never have done that in a million years. He would rather have died on the spot than have sold out the truth to me, he was too concerned with making me a good man 
And he was willing, frankly, to not have a relationship with me over it, if that's what it took. Now, it didn't ever get to that point, but I knew that he would do me do do and tell me the right things from his heart and his perspective, even if it meant that I rejected him and he didn't get to hang out with me. He was willing to put my well-being above his own his, relationship with his, his son. Feelings, yeah. His feelings, feelings, his need to be loved. Yeah, it's right. a, that, 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 that's, a, that's a fucking great man. But, I don't, I, you know, I think that in many ways, like there's always an internal battle. I don't think this is necessarily easy. You know, I don't think, he, you know, like, um, there's always this sort of, how do you, you have to wonder about it. But you, if you're coming from the right context, this issue as a father, it comes a lot easier. Because that's what you're looking at. You're looking at what's the right thing to do for my kid. Okay, this is going to be uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. They're not going to like it. It's going to harm my relationship potentially, particularly when they're teens. But the, you know, but I'm going to say what needs to be said. It's, while my 15-year-old might not hear it now, these words will still be ringing in his ears when he's 35. You carry those words throughout your whole life. Some of the most stinging things that your, your father says to you. God bless the fathers that are willing to say it. Amen. And I, you know, and I believe that, um, you know, pre-1920, it was rare for a father not to be that. There are all sorts of other dysfunctional fathers. There was fathers that were drunk all the time and beat their women and beat their kids. But um, this dysfunction that we're talking about here in fatherhood uh, it didn't exist. This, I need to try to be a father that is a billion mother when she's not here. That's my role. That didn't, that didn't exist. Or not. Dad, dad has pussy. Yeah. Didn't exist. Yeah. Um, no, I just want to reiterate to finish that. I know you're going to move on, but women, that's their job. There's, there's nothing wrong with women being that way. There's a lot right about it, and they're really good at it. They're really good at being naturing. Women are really good at grace. They're really good at making the, giving the child the feeling that um, he can do anything or she can do anything, that they are great, that they will hug you and make, you, make it feel better. And that is exactly what they should be doing as women. But the world doesn't need you doing that to your child. It's not what you're good at, and it's dysfunctional for the child. No, I got a 13-year-old son and a 15-year-old son, and I've been listening to what you're saying through the prism of how I am with my sons and how I, I seek to be with my sons. And I'm by no means perfect, but I'm not a pussy dad. And my boys got to do their homework. My boys got to do their sports. Um, there's an area I could be better at, and that's with respect to their freaking devices because I want them off those devices, man. But they are just resisting that tooth and freaking nail. <laughs> you know, I take it away, and they freaking well go and, like, sneak, sneak around me and get it back. It's fucking just driving me fucking nuts. Well, you know, you know and there's certain things that – you know that there's certain may battles be, we may just not have to yeah, fight. I get it, but, but I think that in some ways, um, what can be important about an issue like that, because it may be frankly impossible to to find a way to divorce your child from it. I mean, they'll get another phone, and as soon as they walk out the door, they'll be on it the whole time. Um, you know, it's become so ubiquitous that this generation actually starts to view the phone as part of their own body. That's actually the truth. You can look that up online. The I don't need to look it up online. The it's the truth of my experience with my freaking right. sons. <laughs> well, that's how they, that's how they, they view it because it's actually is their communication device with the rest of the world and all their friends. Um, and their so friends, their bloody friends. How important those freaking friends are. I want to strangle them sometimes when they talk. <laughs> I got to be with my friends. You are not going to be with my friends. You are not going to be with your family's more matters more than your friends. They don't give a shit. 
Like, like at, this, at this stage, yeah. I don't give a shit. They just wait, wait for dad to stop flapping his gums and they're going to do what they're going to do anyways. Right. Well, and to some degree, that's going to happen, which is why it's important to let them know um, how it makes you feel when they do it and why it makes you feel that way. And then to leave it the hell alone, because if you can say it. So when you're when you're with a child, it's my belief, and this isn't men's work. This is just Jeff Tomlinson's concepts um, with a child, regardless of the age, when you. Um, your voice of uh, of disdain and coaching can become a repeat mechanism that is easy to ignore. And it becomes so much blah, blah, blah. And then they just wait for you to stop. And I think that's what you were describing, actually. Uh, at least it's similar. And But when you pull a child aside, particularly one-on-one, and you say from your heart how it makes you feel. Um, as opposed, this isn't about them anymore. So if you take your child, and, and then it's about you expressing how it makes you feel. So you take your child apart and you just say, "Look," and really get into your heart first. It's like, "Look, I want you to know something." Tears me apart. See you on the phone all the time. I mean, uh, makes me feel like uh, you're ruining an important part of your life. Um, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. I'm still, you know, I still want to have these parameters, but um, I just wanted you to know, like, it's ripping me apart. It's why I keep bugging you about it, because I love you and I'm worried you're going to grow up less than you could because you act like an addict with this thing. It's controlling your life. It's killing me. That's killing me. That's really good. Those words... The child may even pretend they don't hear them. Sometimes children don't hear it. But um, most of the time, man, they may not react at all. The reaction might even be, are you done? Yes. Okay. And then you just get the hell out of them, let their deal with it. But a lot of times those words will reverberate, you know. They'll just start to be something. But it's got to come from that uh, place of how it affects you because there's no debating that. It's like they can say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. You can go, man, maybe you're right, but I can't control how I feel about it. This is just how I feel. You could be right, I shouldn't feel that, but this is how I feel. It brings up tremendous concern for you. It actually causes me pain to see you like this. And I just want you to know that. You don't have to do anything with it. I just want you to know, felt like I wasn't being truthful with you where I was really coming from. I've been covering it up by giving you all this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So it makes me feel good to have scolded you for it. It's not producing any results. I think you got to know how I feel. Now I'm done, by the way, unless there's anything you got to say. If if they're like, no, I'm good, get the hell out of there. Go do something else. Let them sit with it. Don't need a response. Not what it's about. You know. Anyways, I remember that I was smoking a lot of weed as a kid. And I remember my father was a weed smoker. Um, but I remember like it was getting to the point where it's out of control. And he had that conversation with me and I, I never forgot it. It got to the point where every time I went to roll a joint, and I don't smoke weed now. I stopped when I was 20. But every time I went to roll a joint for the next five years, I could kind of hear it. You know, it'd be kind of like the sometimes I was like. father just roll around in a young man's yeah. head. And sometimes I would be like, fuck you and spark it up. And other times I'd be like, yeah, you know, you can wait. Don't need one. We don't need a second one tonight. We'll put that away. It did have an effect. It really did. Didn't have the effect he wanted. He wanted me to like just use it on weekends. He like wanted to that happen. But it was it had a positive effect on him. It did. And I never let him know that. Never, in fact, this is the first time I've recited that, and I never you know, I had a lot, because we do all this men's work, I had a lot of opportunity to complete with my father. Let him know everything, but this just never showed up until now that we got onto this issue. Otherwise, I would have let him know what an impact that had him. Fucking A, man. Good for you. Good for you that you revealed this. Yeah. This is powerful stuff, Tomlinson, and I'm, I'm really grateful for this conversation. I've learned a lot from myself and how I'm going to be with my own sons.
And it's making me reflect on how I have been with my own sons. So men that listen to this podcast, if they're men who have sons and children, they're going to learn a lot from this conversation. And if they don't have children yet, this is something that they can use to help them as they go through the journey toward marriage and children. I think it's really, really good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, me too, man. Tom, this has been a great conversation. I definitely want to have you back. Uh, I'll come back. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. You kidding me? I get to hang out with Nikki Ballou for an hour? It's fun fun stuff. It's fun stuff. About men and the world and... Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Right? Like I love it. It's, it's really great. So let's definitely make sure that we have this conversation uh, again. And, yep. you know, when this episode comes out, please share it in MDI world, because I think there's a lot of men who will listen to this and get a ton out of this conversation. And you revealed some things about yourself that I think some of the men who know you well will be surprised at and, and, and will be able to take into their own lives and reflect on so they can be fathers at, at, at the best version of themselves as a father. And I think that's a fantastic thing. It's a fantastic thing. Amen. Well, thanks a lot, brother. It's been great having you on today. It was great. And uh, you're welcome. And thank you. Have a good one. Good luck with everything you're doing. I, I'm, I wish it well, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Ditto. Likewise. Likewise, man. The men's movement needs more Jeff Tomlinson's and more Nikki Baloo's. 1,000%. You're here. You're here. All right, then. Catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.